Welcome to NFT Talent Talk, where we explore the people of Web3 and their impact on the future of technology. I am Sandra Yape, and in this episode, we have a trio of guests who are leading the way in group investing, fine wine investing, and stablecoin payments. First up, we have Tim Baldwin, the founder and CEO of Partify, a co-investing dApp built to bring Web3 to the masses. Next, we have Kenneth Kumar, the CEO at DLT Payments, a Techstars-backed company focused on reducing risk and ensuring compliance in the handling of digital assets by SMEs. And finally, we have Risto Kallerand, the co-founder and CEO of WineFortune, the world's first platform to invest exclusively in fine wines. Join us as we explore their innovative approaches to investing and learn how they are leveraging Web3 to disrupt traditional financial markets. So sit back, grab a banana, relax, and let's get started. Thank you all for joining us. Hey, everybody. I'm Tim. I founded Party Finance about like two years ago. I'm before at Riot Games, um, and I worked on the launch of their newest game, Valorant, which was a lot of fun. Um, so currently, I'm working on that DAO infrastructure at Partyfy, where we allow people to group together and trade crypto in a multiplayer manner. So everyone can invest and pool their funds into a party and then use a democratic system in order to vote on which ways they want to invest those funds. So currently, we just support ERC-20 tokens as, as trading pairs, but we're um, hoping to support leverage and derivatives in like the next month or so, um, as well as NFTs before summer. Um, and then on top of that, I'm also one of the biz devs at a company called Chasm, which is a user analytics platform um, that can tell you everything you want to know about the users on your dApp, which is pretty difficult. So we extrapolate a lot of information just from wallet addresses so that company founders can actually target their audiences. So thanks for having me. And Sander, you're awesome. Thanks for being with us, Tim. So Kenneth, uh, please introduce yourself. Absolutely. Well, thank, thank you for having me. So my name is Kenneth, and I'm the CEO and founder of DLT Payments, which is a startup that recently got backed by Techstars Berlin. And essentially, we are developing the most secure way to like get paid in stable coins, also working on a solution for subscription payments in, in stable coins and all the, the good stuff related to stable coins and, and pay, online payments. And prior to that, I have co-founded with a similar name called DLT Software roughly five years ago. And through that company, we have done lots of development, like in terms of solidity, tokens, NFTs for various collections and, and all, all that. So as far as my uh, like a crypto background, so I've been involved pretty much from like 2013, early 2014. So I sort of consider myself an OG since I've been like involved way before Ethereum was even launched. And like, obviously the... Landscape has changed since then quite a bit, but I'm like super happy to be here and super happy to participate and share my insights and perspectives. Thank you so much. Oh, that's awesome. I didn't know that you're uh, that OG. That's great to know. Uh, so looking forward to even learning more. And uh, Risto, uh, please introduce yourself. 
Yeah, uh, nice to meet you. And uh, from my background, uh, we have been in wine business uh, approximately four and a half years now. Uh, and we started like a classical company and we uh, made just a sales business with uh, fine wines and storage. But uh, we have growth in uh, last year and half uh, due uh, uh, back also this physical asset uh, with uh, like a digital twin. So uh, we have uh, uh, we have uh, uh, thought about the different uh, architecture uh, um, ideas and uh, and uh, hopefully uh, end of this year we could uh, come out uh, the first. Uh, first version of uh, our, our um, physical fine minds with uh, RFIDs are connected with uh, NFTs uh, on a blockchain. So uh, this has been our our main focus now to uh, the, uh, like a real uh, uh, usage of uh, of this asset uh, in in a digital way too. Awesome. So basically, as everyone understands, today we'll be talking primarily about uh, DeFi and uh, payments and uh, investing uh, of, um, uh, with the use of uh, blockchain. And uh, one of the quick questions I right away have, uh, Tim, uh, if Bristo has a platform where you can invest into wines and you have a platform where uh, people can uh, come together and uh, invest together, then uh, uh, how easy or hard would it be for you to uh, uh, collaborate and uh, enable everyone to invest together via uh, Partify as well? Yeah, that, that's such a good point. Um, and I think Risto's product is an on-chain validation of, of wine. Um, and so as long as there's a standard holding place for that actual wine, like I don't know the intricacies of wine fortune, but as long as there's a standing holding place for that wine, we're able to tokenize shares of that. We could distribute that to parties. So parties, the, the end goal is the entire, what we'd like parties to be is purchase any on-chain asset and be able to fractionalize, democratize the ownership of it. So with wine, that would actually be such a cool use case. Um, I know Jamie, my co-founder, is super into that sort of stuff and but likes those other uh, forms of investment, the more finer forms of investment. Like, for example, he fractionalized a Lamborghini. Um, just, I think it was last year, he had a fraction share of a Lamborghini. And so he got to have it for a certain portion of the year. Um, and I feel wine is a similar story to that, fractionalizing fine assets and using them as, an, as a new investment class, which is kind of everything party this aspires to be, is like the ability to invest in assets that were previously unobtainable. So... And it's cool that Wine Fortune is doing that for wine. Very cool. Uh, moving on, uh, then, uh, uh, Risto, uh, when it comes to payments, uh, then uh, what do you think? Uh, uh, is there uh, some sort of uh, collaboration point between uh, you and uh, DLT Pay to potentially uh, start accepting more digital currencies or or how has it uh, been solved so far in uh, one fortune that uh, uh, can people uh, use different digital currencies to uh, make those investments or is it uh, so far mainly just uh, stablecoin based? 
we haven't uh, we haven't made uh, yet uh, some connection uh, with uh, cryptocurrencies, uh, but uh, yeah, we have definitely thought about uh, what would be the best way uh, to to give uh, like a most um, valuable uh, new new solutions for payments. Uh, but uh, but yeah, first point we have thought about to uh, build uh, build up a technology uh, for uh, to back uh, back our uh, our physical assets uh, with um, uh, like NFT identity. But uh, next step from there will be definitely also to give a possibility to trade this physical asset uh, with uh, different uh, cryptocurrencies. We are definitely open uh, for um, different solutions. Cool. And to uh, finalize my uh, match, uh, then uh, Kenneth, uh, do you also see some synergies uh, with uh, Partify or any type of uh, uh, opportunity to uh, uh, offer services or to get get involved with TLT uh, Bay and uh, Partify? Yeah, absolutely. Really brought a really good point in, in the sense that they they haven't taken the plunge yet, and this is one of the uh, sort of the problems that we see overall is is this narrative that businesses yeah they should accept crypto and we we fully support that we the way we are building our solution is that we want to accommodate as many different you know tokens cryptocurrencies on the way in from like potential customers since you know bunch of people they made money in it they want to exchange it into goods and services or investments but the businesses we do not believe that the businesses should be in a position to decide whether they get paid in Bitcoin or Ethereum. Like we think also for the purposes of, you know, counting, compliance, all that that's related to running a business, you should only be paid in stable coins. There should never even be a discussion of whether you should, you know, accept like what if you're a customer, they pay in Ether, whether you should accept the Ether. We think it should all be always converted. So with us, of course, there's a bunch of uh, payment gateways out there, both, you know, centralized, some of them uh, non-custodial, decentralized. So we are custodial, so we never actually have custody of users' funds. But the way that it is uh, designed is that, like, the business, they will only ever get paid in stablecoins. And this makes accounting much simpler. It de-risks the businesses because, I don't know, like for instance, Risto, maybe he isn't like too familiar with like having a hard like his own you know like exchange account you know trading and all that. And most business owners they aren't. And we really want to take out the casino element out of sort of a simple matter of you know exchanging value. And if if the business they desire to you know reinvest the stable coins into Ether, Bitcoin because they believe that the price will go. They can absolutely do that on their own, but we don't think it should be a part of the payment gateway. So in this way, we, we differ quite a lot. And in terms of, of party finance, I, I haven't looked uh, much into the product itself, so I would have to do a little bit more research and maybe that's something we can talk about. I, I like that I was able to give you all a curveball and uh, you all came through uh, it uh, very nicely. Uh, so uh, yeah, I, I think that there's... Uh, there, there is, as, as always, uh, between different uh, people that will be joining us as speakers, as well as uh, attendees of the NFT Challenge, I guess there will be a, a lot of different opportunities for uh, collaboration. And I hope that uh, people will be 
utilizing this. But uh, now uh, continuing on uh, uh, all of this, then I think that there's uh, kind of like two major topics that we can uh, be discussing today. Uh, one side is uh, to do with uh, the future of uh, DeFi and the financialization of uh, different assets in general. And the other side is more to do with uh, regulations uh, and uh, how this will be affecting uh, all of your businesses. Uh, because uh, when it comes to blockchain, then as long as it is inside uh, a game or inside art, then it's uh, relatively simple. But uh, the moment when you bring in investment, investing and payments, then uh, uh, regulation wants to come in. And, uh, and one of the interesting concepts, uh, which I'm not sure if you have been uh, looking into recently, is uh, something uh, uh, which is called like uh, uh, refi, regulated finance, uh, and uh, which kind of brings it all together. So how do you see uh, the future of uh, your specific, specific, specific industries as well as uh, uh, where the uh, Web3 and uh, DeFi industry in general is going, starting with now uh, from Risto and then Kenneth and then Tim. Uh, so, 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 sorry, repeat uh, once again, I had some connection problems. Yeah, so the short question is, uh, uh, how do you see the future of uh, your specific uh, mm -hmm. as a product as well as the DeFi and payments industry in general uh, both in terms of technology as as well as the regulation I, I see that uh, from from Vine asset side uh, when we are moving also more and more maybe uh, uh, the web web three environment and uh, maybe we uh, even uh, not move uh, move physical assets uh, in 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 years, but uh, like fractional shares uh, and uh, different uh, owning parts. Uh, is it uh, then some fund shares like we are uh, giving out right now, or something else even when where there is no need for. Uh, uh, financial regulator uh, license, uh, then then it will be easier also with different uh, digital payment solutions, uh, because uh, right now also when we came out uh, with a fund, uh, uh, like a first fund uh, that invests only in wines, and then there is also like uh, all the process about uh, seven eight months uh, with. Um, with financial unit, uh, then uh, of course there is also had uh, questions about uh, how we accept uh, payments. Uh, do we have some uh, uh, alternative solutions also, and everything else? So uh, we had to <laughs> tell that we don't accept right now every uh, anything else. But uh, when when we have in future in plans, and so they asked uh, definitely more and more questions then. But uh, but uh, they they got to understand that uh, right now it's a very solid plan and no any any other risks. So uh, they just understood that when we want to make some extra steps, uh, we have to just uh, um, get the agreement also from them side. Yeah, and on that note, it's important to note that uh, Risto is uh, based in Estonia and uh, has been uh, working very, uh, directly with uh, the regulators by uh, previously also uh, working with uh, the uh, the cabinets for Ministry of Entrepreneurship. So uh, if anyone ever uh, wants to uh, know the ins and outs of uh, how the Estonian system 
works, then I think that uh, Risto knows most of the people and uh, might have some uh, good insight to share with you. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, Kenneth, uh, how about you? Well, it's it's good to know that Risto knows people since DLT Payments is also incorporated in Estonia, although our team is mostly spread out across Europe. But I actually think that Estonia has, you know, quite a bit of uh, potential, as Risto said, in terms of like tokenizing real assets, since it's it's a small place, it's more nimble, it's more agile. There is, you know, for instance, we are working with uh, BDO, which is one of like the big, you know, compliance auditing account accounting firms. So I think in Estonia, you know, there is the right combination of all the like the pool of talent as well as the willingness to to innovate. But as as far as solution per se, uh, since we never actually it, it has been designed in a way that we never actually have access to user funds. So unlike perhaps you know Risto solution where they actually accept uh, money on behalf of customers and they pull it and they do something with it. That's sort of like collective investment scheme or, of course, some type of regulation will be involved at, at that point. But uh, in, in terms of uh, the, like the payment gateway that we are working on, it's mostly just a piece of software that we are building and anyone can choose to implement it. They need to have their own wallet prior to engaging with the software. So for us specifically, based on the legal opinions that we have no regulation is uh, needed but of course it's it's quite different if we were to actually be like a wallet provider or or like manage users funds but overall like we know that you know mika is coming they they currently postponed it due to some technical issues but like it is it is a known fact that uh, you know am like aml you know the counterterrorist financing and all these schemes they are pretty much 98% ineffective so i don't think that the the solution to to defi you know and rock pools is more of traditional re regulation it's 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 more about you know having more more access to education and really uh decentralization of risk you know it's always that's very much in the ethos of you know defi that the risk should be spread out like recently we've had you know with all the centralized platforms celsius you know, uh, three arrow capital, FTX and all that, like it, it has nothing to do with crypto. It just makes, you know, very bad publicity for, for blockchain and crypto. But it's ultimately like not, not in its philosophy at all. It's just sort of I, I would say, honestly, I think it's, it's due to the lack of UX within DeFi that it's just a little bit too complicated, like complicated to interact with, whether it's, you know, Uniswap using like MetaMask, using your own hardware wallet, it's still, it's it's not like Apple style, you know, where you have just one device and it's all like working flawlessly. So I think we are getting there, but we are still perhaps, you know, a couple of years, uh, uh, you know, from, from that point where we actually reach like mass adoption and we are, you know, still very early. But as far as regulation, I think it's more in a sense of self-regulation. That, that's, that's the path forward in, in my view. Yeah, I think uh, this is something where we should be coming back to in a in a few minutes' time. But uh, as we recently have been talking with him about uh, the UX of uh, uh, blockchain and uh, specifically DeFi, then uh, might you want to ask something uh, on here, Tim? Ask about UX? I don't know. Well, you, it, you... the main question is still, uh, how do you see the uh, 
future of the industry as well as future of your product. Uh, but uh, but yeah. as Kenneth just brought in the UX topic, then maybe uh, jump there as well for a second. Well, Kenneth brought up a few cool things, and I, I'm a blockchain data scientist now. I guess I can officially call myself that. Um, and the funny part is we we're talking about like anti-terrorist, anti-money laundering um, sort of regulation and that sort of stuff. I have looked through thousands and thousands of the richest wallets on the EVM, and I have never seen any wallet that has a ton of money in it that isn't associated with a big company. So like, for example, I saw this wallet last week. It had $600 million of wrapped ETH sitting in it, along with a bunch of other tokens. And it's so easy to track that wallet back to AU21. Like I just was able to do this. It's pretty simple. Um, and so I would imagine for government agencies, they would have people that are hopefully smarter than me. And they would be able to find those terrorist EVM wallets and tie them back to an email and tie them back to a withdrawal system in a very simple manner. Um, but when it comes to like UX and that sort of stuff, um, it's definitely moving forward. The thing is, think about your own team right now. And I, I think a lot of, about my founder friends, too. Um, how many UX people do you have working on your on your company? Often, it's just one or two people. And at Partyfy, we have one person. Um, and he, like, his stuff at the beginning was terrible to the stuff that he's released lately. Um, and the, we had this big UX update at the beginning of January. Um, and we're even working more on accessibility features. Like, for example, there's a company called Magic Link. Magic Link allows you to use your wallet. And then if you don't have your MetaMask wallet, you can just use your Google account and it'll make a wallet for you. Um, so... Tools like that are coming out. And the thing that we need to realize is back in 2020, what led that huge spur of growth that got crypto in the spotlight again was the mainstream falling back into crypto. Um, back from 2018, mainstream got into it. They left. Now they came back for DeFi summer, as some of us call it. And that's when things really popped. Now they're all gone again. Um, you look online and you, you read sentiment about NFTs from gaming communities or people who aren't associated with Web3, and they see it for what the public shows it as, which is a bunch of rich people buying artwork. That's not what it is, as most of us know. We, as most of us know, NFTs are a very powerful tool for validation, whether that's membership or a subscription or something along those lines. That's the way that this industry is moving forward. And it's gonna take a company to release some sort of software, like have a Fortnite moment we call, where everyone starts using that kind of software, and then not say that it's all based on blog. Like just show the real utility of the blockchain without having it in your face. Now, none of us here are really gonna do that because a lot of us are really blockchain oriented, but where that could come into play our AAA gaming studios saying, okay, we need to validate our members. We need to validate our users. We need to validate the items that they're using inside of games. And those companies just so happen to be the best UX teams in the world, gaming companies. So I think it'll go hand in hand. The better UX will go with less of an emphasis on blockchain. And then all of a sudden, before we know it, the entire world is running on blockchain without us even thinking about it. Just like how we pull up our Chase app or maybe use our Apple Pay or we use our debit card. We don't think about that. But pretty soon, we won't think about the blockchain. Yeah, and uh, when, when it comes to talking about uh, or thinking about uh, blockchain, then I understand that, especially in the case of uh, Wine Fortune and what Risto is building, then basically uh, blockchain can be there 
but uh, for most people, it will be uh, hidden in the plain sight, uh, or am I uh, mistaking this this side? Yeah, completely agree. I mean, maybe it won't be hidden in plain sight for some companies. I don't think Yuga is ever going to, and they are a AAA gaming studio now. I don't think Yuga is ever going to sleep uh, sweep their blockchain under the rug. Like that's definitely one of the strong parts about their gaming studio. And there's some other gaming studios that are very similar to that, right? And and that's definitely important because a lot of us who are in this space are diehard crypto people, uh, crypto fanatics. And I will never not be nervous about blockchain, but it's when I go home and I talk to my my parents' friends, and they're like, oh, you're working in crypto. How's that doing? Did FTX hurt you? Yada, yada, yada. Like that's, we need to get away from that because um, Right now, the mainstream media is pushing a narrative that isn't that healthy for crypto, but eventually they'll flip on it again. That's just how it works. <laughs> yeah, it depends where the market is, and uh, depending on that, it either goes up or down. Uh, but uh, specifically, uh, uh, Risto, uh, in your case, uh, with uh, Wine Fortune, uh, you are utilizing uh, blockchain, but when you uh, look into the uh, website, then I understand that... Uh, um, for most people, it wouldn't be fully obvious from this get-go because uh, blockchain uh, as it is, is only used in the uh, kind of like backside of things or being implemented on, on, on that side mostly. Or uh, are you ex- expecting to bring this out more for the customers to kind of uh, know that, it, yes, it is a blockchain-enabled uh, uh, wine investing uh, yeah, right now we are only like a test phase uh, for using yeah, this uh, like utility side. Uh, but uh, I think we can uh, come out uh, like publicly also when everything works uh, some end of the year, when we'd like to uh, come out the first uh, Web3 uh, investment uh, shop also. So uh, then I think will be this this place when we can uh, change our brand uh, a little bit more. But right now, yeah, we just uh, want to be more like uh, um, visual side, uh, just as um, easiest way to invest in wines and uh, and be as uh, just like a, a financial instrument with uh, fund shares or or physical subscription uh, with uh, real physical wines for uh, certain customers but uh, yeah right now uh, backside is uh, is the is the main thing that uh, how we are building up this uh, this uh, blockchain based uh, like a digital uh, twin for physical asset okay cool so tim uh, as you, as you were saying but i was seeing that uh, kenneth actually wanted to uh, jump in uh, here as well. Yeah, yeah. I, I wanted to add, well, first of all, I wanted to address the UX commentary where there has been this quote that like any advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. So I don't think people should necessarily be cognizant of the fact that the solution they are using is powered by blockchain. And this brings me to the point that Risto said that they just want to be established and go to investment platform for, for like wine and of course, it can be mentioned there somewhere in the prospectus that yeah, we are using state-of-the-art blockchain solution to power you know, this, this product, to enhance compliance, make it easier. To... But I don't necessarily identify with the trend that you know, we should like, put it out there as much as we can. I, I think it's 
this really is sort of immature and uh, we should more just uh, tr try to obsess about creating the best possible user experience. And like, as, as Tim mentioned, like with the use cases that, for instance, you could have like a gaming item that you can, you know, transfer between different games that like people, they are gonna like see the benefits and then they, they will like automatically create blockchain with it, you know, like, like they did back in the day with internet that you could like immediate, like, uh, like in real time, you know, connect with someone like on another side of the world. So, so I, I, I'm, I'm like a little, I would be like a little bit careful, although I'm like a diehard, you know, fa like fan. I've been like, like here since the beginning, but I honestly don't like the, like if the marketing is like too pushy, you know, Web3, blockchain, crypto, and because then also, you know, bad stuff happens and then like people immediately associate it with blockchain rather than like the centralized entity that did something wrong. Like with FTX, it really brings back memories of Mount Gox. I don't know if any of you, Mount, do you recall Mount Gox? Does it ring a bell? Yeah, yeah. I had Mount Gox. I had a worse one with Rayblox. Do you remember Rayblox? <laughs> no, I don't. I don't actually. Rayblox was around the same time. It was like a random currency. And then the ha the exchange they used to distribute it got hacked and every single Rayblox got like stolen. Um, so I lost like 30 grand back in 2018 <laughs> on that. But yeah. Yeah, that's a big time. Uh, yeah. Uh, but uh, when we now bring in the, uh, the UX question, uh, then one side of the user experience, uh, at least from the regulatory uh, standpoint, is that uh, we should uh, limit uh, the use of technology or make it uh, more uh, harder from the regulatory side. And that's why they have been working on the AMLs and KYCs and everything else. At least that's one of the reasons. And uh, the, But then, uh, Kenneth, you were pre previously saying that uh, you think that uh, there should be kind of more freedom uh, how do you how does this go along with the UX side, especially when you are not putting it out that the product is uh, utilizing blockchain and you might be targeting the uh, so-called Web2 users. Uh, but if there's also no uh, uh, like regulatory things there, then uh, how can we ensure that the experience for those users is going to be safe or uh, how to kind of make Web3 and DeFi safer? For the users this is such a great question well to come back to my criticism of like the web3 blockchain angle it, it 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 just it mostly applies i would say to centralized companies you know that they tout blockchain web3 and then they get hacked and it makes you know very bad pr but in terms of like true you know DeFi non-custodial solutions it's like it's of the highest essence to really create the best possible ux so people can actually service themselves, you know, without having to go to FTX or like these types of platforms to, you know, trade NFTs, create their wallet. Like we should really educate more people about, you know, creating their own, you know, MetaMask or ideally hardware wallet like Ledger and so on. And with this wallet, you know, they can connect to, you know, all these platforms for like, I don't know, staking, NFTs, OpenSea and all, all the good stuff. And as far as like, as I said, like the CTF AML regulation, it very much just affects, uh, I would say, poor people. Because if we have seen countless times with Panama Papers, Swiss leaks, if you are, if you have a net worth of 10 million plus, you know, you can set up 
very complex structure with nominee shareholders, you know, nominee directors, and you can do as much money laundering as you want. So very much this, this just applies to like regular people and like those that, that already are in power and that they have the resources. It doesn't affect them one bit. So I don't think it's, it's a great, such a great time, like such a great use of the resources of, of public and of society, you know, to enforce uh, KYC for for buying a picture of, of ape or you know uh, uh, like uh, item in 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 a Steam game. So that that's that's definitely misguided. And what we should rather do is you know make perhaps like impose higher regulatory standards on centralized entities that deal with blockchain assets, where this sort of creates a single point of failure. But the, at the point of the individual. We should very much be more lenient and relax these these restrictions because then, if it's if it's difficult to do it as an individual, then people tend to go to these centralized entities that make it maybe a little bit easier in terms of the UX. You still have to go through the KYC checks and all that, but then they get hacked. So we've had that you know happen countless of times. I, I want to mention there's like a little bit of an issue with um, have, not having KYC in games. And this um, comes from my experience at Riot Games. Um, when we prompt people, users, players to purchase games in like item items inside of their game, we're not going after the kid. Like the kid who is buying games will uh, buying those items will always want those items. We're going after the the kid's parents' wallet. And when it comes to being purchased NFTs inside of games we have to remember there are very strict regulations about who can and who cannot buy crypto so if we're giving valuable crypto outside of video games it prompts a pretty big um, discussion around who can and cannot purchase crypto and if kids are making tens of thousands of dollars every year playing video games and they are under the age of 18 and shouldn't technically be able to purchase any security or any investment asset yet, um, crypto gaming will get completely shut down. The government will just step in and stop it. So that's a question that I don't see brought up like um, often enough. It's like, how are we going to solve that, that equation of being able to keep people under the age of 18 out of games? And I, I know that's uh, games where they can make a ton of money or earn crypto assets. Well, it uh, kind of opens up the, the question to another part. Why should we keep uh, kids away if they're below 18? Uh, why, why shouldn't they be able to uh, start investing when they're 14 or even 7? But uh, but actually, it's a good question uh, for uh, for in general. Uh, and I think that's the part of uh, uh, when it comes to DeFi, then uh, yes, there is regulation on the one side. Yes, there is UX on the other side. But what else can we do to make... Uh, uh, DeFi not just more powerful, but uh, more safe towards uh, the uh, uh, beginner users. Yeah, well, let's revisit what kind of prompted these sort of laws. And, and there's a whole timeline that goes with it. Um, so like back in the 80s, um, and I think even before that, there was a lot of like scams that were happening. I'm sure a lot of you have heard of the, I mean, I'm sure everyone knows of Bernie Madoff and how he was able to build a, like an illegitimate hedge fund um, and funnel money via an accounting firm into that hedge fund. Now, when this sort of stuff started happening, it, Bernie Madoff wasn't the only one to do it. And the government caught on pretty quickly. 
and they realized who's the most vulnerable for like a con scheme. Um, and that is like kids. Kids are obviously the most vulnerable with their money. Uh, they're the easiest to convince. They're not as experienced as adults. So that's when the government said, okay, 18 years old. Now let's flash forward around 30 years and we could look at the early 2010s and the rise of the video game called Counter-Strike Global Offensive. And Counter-Strike Global Offensive really took the lead on selling skins. And pretty soon, before we know it, there were skins that were worth thousands and thousands of dollars. Entire economies, entire SaaS systems that were built up around these skins, uh, gambling sites, um, betting sites where you could bet on games with skins, trading sites, uh, basically... um, knockoff skins that people had hacked out of accounts that are cheaper on other websites. So Steam sees this. Steam is talking to the government. Government says, no, we can't have kids doing that. Um, They are the easiest to get conned. In fact, probably, I I don't know a statistic on it, but I'm sure hundreds of thousands of dollars had been conned out of kids with these skins, which are pretty akin to in-game items that are NFTs. Um, And so it kind of popped up and drew up a ton of... uh, sign precedent around these items and, and how we go around how we go about distributing them um but yeah that's just a little context on on where we are and how things are sort of sitting yeah i think that's uh, that's very exciting uh, and interesting thing that we still need to be uh, figuring out uh, kenneth rista do you have anything to add on this side or a uh, what are the other steps that you are doing in general on the safety side? Well, perhaps I can comment on this that, yeah, I don't think it's such a, such a great idea to, you know, put so much energy into uh, making it, you know, difficult for, let's say, kids or like teens to, to you know, uh, trade with these skins. Is, is that honestly such, such, a good, such a good strategy? What I would like to uh, use as an example is is the fact that the government they basically impose re- like very strict regulation for also adults any like common people about investing in startups but on the other hand it's perfectly legal to go to las vegas and just like gamble away all, all your savings so there's lots of hypocrisy in, in this and i i don't necessarily think that's that's such a such a good idea, and perhaps we should we should figure some alternative to it. That, uh, like for instance, with Binance, if you, if you want to trade uh, some more like leverage instruments, you have to you have to pass some like a quiz that sort of proves that you you know what you are doing or or something along these lines. That the sort of the cure to this is is education and not regulation, in in my view. Perhaps Risto has something to add. Yeah, yeah. From our side, it's uh, just very easy because we have a connection with alcohol. Then it's uh, already eighteen plus uh, most of countries. So, but uh, but of course, we when we go uh, one step further and uh, we limit uh, access uh, to get this physical asset out and manage uh, only as uh, investment and trading purpose then it should be also more um, capable to uh, bring also underage uh, underage kids, uh, like 16 plus maybe, to make investments. So, uh, yeah, uh, depends uh, how how far we can go. Risto, have you seen there's like a clip? um, It's like Steven for you. It's like a comedy show. 
and he does this clip where he um so basically the idea of the show is he like creates all these crazy business ideas and um basically goes and tries to implement them and one of his ideas was selling alcohol to minors where they could purchase the alcohol they just couldn't drink it until they were 21 they like kept it at the liquor store (laughs) i was like and you're just saying that like how investing in wine isn't consuming wine i was like wow it's an actual like working concept of what Stephen for you did i love that <laughs> no i haven't seen but uh, but yeah we have also discussed uh, quite several times with people that uh, when we limit access get this uh, asset actually out uh, so we would like to make also next step in subscription service that uh, there's possibility that uh, owners uh, never get these physical wines out they never make transactions themselves so they just put their limits and uh, requirements uh, everything will be automatically uh, traded so yeah i think it's it's possible to go uh, in, in different uh, client segments well and in this case uh, you can uh, for those uh, uh, underage kids you can uh, make it so that they wouldn't be even buying uh, wine, but they would be buying uh, uh, NFT pictures of wine. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah, true. Quick banana break. I'd like to take a moment to tell you about an event I'm organizing. NFT Tallinn, the biggest web-free event in Northern and Eastern Europe. NFT Tallinn is your bridge to Europe, where the brightest minds in the industry come together to discuss and present the latest trends and developments in a nascent web-free world. The main event will be held from May 8th to 10th and will feature keynote speakers, panel discussions, networking opportunities, VIP dinners and more. In addition, the community will host hackathons, side events and much more throughout the week starting May 5th. Tickets are available now. To learn more and secure your ticket, visit nfttalin.com. It's an event well worth your time. So I want to I want to ask some questions to my fellow founders here, like just about like kind of your marketing strategies and what you're going um, kind of like your big plans are for marketing, growing your community and that sort of stuff. Maybe we could just have a mastermind right now about like what works for each one of us. Excellent question. Yeah, I, I can maybe start uh, only from our our like pitch side, uh, how we uh, raise money right now in, in seed round. Uh, it's mostly also focused uh, that we have like a physical assets uh, connected with NFTs and uh, how we can uh, purpose more value of uh, both parts. So, so um, definitely when we... Uh, come out uh, like a new um, brand image uh, end of the year and also uh, uh, showing more like a connection uh, in in uh, in blockchain side and how how we can uh, value uh, these assets more with uh, these uh, i think it's already gives um, easiest way to market it uh, itself uh, because the product shows already there's the Real usage and uh, and and um, effective way to uh, own assets and and uh, trade with that. Yeah, perhaps I can chip in on this. Well, in in terms of our product, the the value proposition is is quite simple in the sense that 
you know, like in this economy, like why would you pay, you know, two, three percent for for a fee? And, you know, while you still have to go through all the hoops and loops of onboarding, you know, with Stripe or PayPal, and they have a very bad reputation of randomly freezing accounts with us, like we never have access to your funds, you pay less than half a percent. So the, the product pretty much sells itself, but in, in terms of like the verticals or like the immediate go to market, of course, we do actually want to target, uh, you know, like anything that's popular among like Gen Z millennials. So this could be games, this, this could be potentially like alternative investments or, you know, NFTs as well. But we, uh, while we do want to like focus on that as well, we do want to focus more also on the web web two segment, so like direct to consumer, like anything that you you wish you you would be able to purchase with crypto, but you can't at this time. I think this sums it up really well. And of course, we are trying you know different channels to grow our waitlist. We currently have about like five six hundred businesses. It's growing about fifteen twenty percent each month, and you know we are trying all sorts of different places: Telegram, Discord. We've done some PR on the web, but since we are still pre-launch, you know, the, all the good stuff is, 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 is still coming. And I, I think in, in like a couple of months. That's really cool. Uh, Kenneth, are you working on subscriptions? So that's one of the big like questions for payment providers in crypto right now is like subscriptions via wallet. Um, I know like no one has figured out, figured that out well yet. Yes, that that is a great great point. In fact, we are. Our first product is is just the basic, you know, online payment gateway. As this is sort of a low hanging fruit, and you know, it's it's really needed. But uh, in terms of the product ecosystem, in fact, subscriptions are are the second in line, and we have figured out a way where basically. Like either you, this it's it sort of requires that you you give a permission to an external smart contract, which uh, sort of has some sort of collateral, and then it, you know it pays out the the like the either the SaaS subscription provider like each month or perhaps you know like a quarterly basis. Then you get some discount. So we are figuring out a way how to replicate what's being done with like regular credit debit cards, but with a combination of stable coins and smart contracts with, with like varying degrees of, you know, collateral. And we are trying to, you know, figure it out, you know, down to like the exact math, because there, there is a way to, to go about it without actually, you know, putting up like the entire collateral, like, uh, you know, it, like sort of initially, you know, because of course no one wants to do that or like it, it's it's a burden, you know, that wouldn't be like a great solution. So we are working on that. And this also very much uh, is related to, you know, sort of figure, figuring out like credit worthiness of, of like an Ethereum address. So we are also playing with the idea of, you know, like assigning a certain credit score to a certain, you know, Ethereum address where we ha have a look at like previous transactions you know, how much ETH, how much USDC passed through that address. So it's, it's, it's quite a complex problem, but I, I think we are, you know, on, on the way to provide like a minimum viable product that, that would be of, of value to both the, the SaaS provider as well as the customer that wishes to pay in, in stables. I can totally work with you on that um, kind of credit analysis thing. I'm, my like other company I worked with is it's called Chasm. 
and we do like uh, we do like analysis on wallets and on cohorts. So one of the cool things we could say is like, okay, inside of the PartyFi community, all holders of the PartyFi token and the Party Ape or NFT, all of their net value combined is like four hundred and eighty million dollars. And we could do that via like on-chain analytics. We could dig into the individual wallets and say like, oh, this guy did seven volume last year, seventy thousand dollars in volume. Actually, we didn't nominate it in ETH. So, okay, this guy did 70 ETH in volume last year. So we're able to like actually portray that. And then another cool thing we could do is we can dig into their tags and their interests. So you can go on to their portfolio on OpenSea and every NFT they have is like tagged as an interest. So if they hold 80, uh, 80% of their portfolio is NFTs that are tagged like you know, play to play to earn, then we know that person is very interested in play to earn. Um, and so that could be an in- interesting way we could work together on kind of cred- credit analysis using like our, our data aggregation. Yeah, that sounds can definitely show that later. There, there is you no know, various ways how to approach this. And this, this is definitely one. Yeah, yeah, I'll send you a message. Cool. Hey, uh... Anything else uh, where you would say that, uh, that there's something very specific that you have been uh, doing on the marketing side? For me, and I can't say this enough, like questing. Um, questing is like a way of like putting tasks out there to audiences. And there's multiple different questing websites. So um, some are better than others. And I have the data to show you which ones are and which ones aren't. But so some websites, quest, how a questing website works, we'll, we'll, we'll start with that. On a questing website, you go and you post a quest. Now that quest could be on-chain or it could be off-chain. So an example of an off-chain quest would be follow our Twitter account, like this tweet, retweet this tweet. That would be like an off-chain quest. And then an on-chain quest would, for, for me, a good example would be make a party on party finance. And that would be like an on-chain quest where they have to complete an on-chain event in order for that to be completed. Now, now, why would people do these quests? There's like rewards that you get. So on the different questing sites, some might pay you out in that questing site's token. So like you might get paid out in some tokens. You could also add some rewards to some questing sites of your own. So we've paid out quests in our native token sometimes. But the crazy part is we went from 66 parties on PartyFi last October to almost uh, just over 700 now. And that's due to questing. Like some of those parties that are created from the questing sites are terrible and don't have a ton of money in them, but some of them are. And we've actually attracted some users to PartyFi via questing that have a net worth of over $30 million inside of their wallet. Like why would someone that rich use a questing site? I don't know, but they're still involved with PartyFi because of it. Um, So I would strongly suggest like checking out those questing sites um, and just like kind of adding some activity to your to your platform uh, just because it's good for growth. I guess uh, when it comes to uh, those questing sites, then they uh, kind of work like uh, Product Hunt uh, works in uh, the Web2 world uh, and uh, people that are really keen on uh, learning about new opportunities before others are uh, learning about them uh, might be going there. And that that's how the... A wallet with 30 million insights uh, could be go- uh, getting there. That's it. Uh, if, uh, someone with uh, uh, 30 million in uh, in their wallet is uh, testing out uh, 
uh, new uh, platforms, then this is a accident waiting to be happening. <laughs> yeah, you're not wrong there, Sander. Testing out new platforms and plugging in that app, that wallet to everybody. Man, that is an accident waiting to happen. He needs to switch some of that ETH around. No, you're totally right. Well, well, most of the questing sites, you have to be like a legitimate project in order to to post on there. And it's not hard to prove you are. You just have a couple conversations with the founder and say like, oh, this is our community. We've grown it for the last two years. And thankfully, PartyFi has been around for a while now that we have a bit of like, not expertise, but experience enough to like go into meetings and say, oh, we've been around since this long and we're still nobody. <laughs> yeah. So uh, uh, time in market uh, helps in this particular case. Uh, anything else uh, which uh, you could be uh, sharing specifically on the uh, uh, marketing side? Or do we want to go uh, move on to other discussions? Get get Dylan up here. What, what does Dylan think about marketing? I understand Dylan is having uh, some difficulties uh, hearing me at least. <laughs> oh, bummer. Well, Dylan is, uh, we've had many a marketing conversation, so I'd like to hear. Because he has sort of, um, I've seen he's been trying some new techniques with NFT talent um, and just kind of some new ways of going about it. And I think it's working out pretty well. Yeah. And and that's where uh, we'll be doing uh, uh, quite a few uh, different uh, branding and community building related uh, sessions at uh, NFT talent. And when uh, specifically talking about NFT talent, then I think it's a good uh, chance for me to mention uh, where people can expect to uh, listen to all of uh, all of you so uh, even though today we've been uh, primarily talking about the specific uh, businesses that uh, Tim Kenneth and Rista are in uh, then uh, uh, actually they are as you can hear uh, much broader in uh, their uh, experiences and as a result uh, Tim uh, for uh, for one is going to be joining us in a session uh, regarding uh, DAOs uh, meanwhile, Kenneth uh, is uh, uh, currently supposed to join us uh, in uh, another uh, like very DeFi-focused uh, topic, but uh, something to do with uh, connecting uh, on-chain lending and borrowing uh, of, uh, by connecting to real-world assets. And then finally, on uh, Risto's side, uh, we will most likely see him uh, in the future NFT applications of uh, retail and entertainment. Uh, and maybe on, on this uh, side, uh, all of you can uh, bring in a couple of uh, sentences on why have you chosen to join us uh, in those specific uh, uh, discussions. Yeah, I'll, I'll start. Yeah, I'll start. go ahead. Um, for, I'm doing the DAO panel, right? And uh, kind of like the future and the implications of DAOs. The real reason I wanted to do it was I feel like everyone has a different opinion on what DAOs are supposed to accomplish. And I, my opinion is a little bit different than everyone's. And a lot of people talk about working with regulations. And I really think we're in a where DAOs are going to be ahead of regulation for the next uh, decade, like in the sense that DAOs will do something and then regulation will happen because of it. DAOs are the cause. Regulation is the effect. Um, not like, how do I build a, my DAO into the regulations that are already out there? Obviously, that needs to be thought about, 
and some things like you can't skirt around like securities laws and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, I think DAOs are going to be accomplishing things that make governments think. And the more that we make a government think, I think the better our, our politics are going to be, especially I'm a firm believer in DAOs in the, in the aspects that they can really change the way we interact with the companies that we're purchasing goods from. They can change the way that we interact with those around us. Like uh, here in the U.S., we have something called homeowners associations, and those are like basically run by um, moms and housewives that have nothing better to do with their time and aren't very democratic. Um, so that would be a really good use case where like you have uh, DAOs governing neighborhoods. Um, so there's a lot of things that just like aren't crypto specific that DAOs can fit really well into um, that. I just want to make sure those things have a voice. Sounds very good. And uh, yeah, when it comes to DAOs, then uh, I think there's a lot of different uh, discussions happening, uh, especially here in Nordics and uh, Eastern Europe. And uh, people are, how can we uh, really make them work? And how different are they actually from uh, uh, nonprofit organizations and uh, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that uh, we can be seeing some uh, interesting use cases uh, in the future. And anyone that's interested in uh, testing out uh, building DAOs is uh, very welcome in the region. But uh, Kenneth, what about you? And uh, combining the uh, real-world assets and on-chain lending and borrowing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, lending and borrowing, basically credit is, is really much a hallmark of, of an advanced economy. And right now, that, that's something that is very much lacking in, in, in the DeFi space. And how do we go about changing it? So I believe this is one of the hardest problems to solve. And uh, especially in, in, in terms of connecting, you know, like the DeFi or like an NFT to like a real world asset. Like what's, what's the proper way to do it? There's quite a few frameworks that have been, you know, designed, but most of those projects, they, they haven't really delivered on, 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 on sort of their promise. So I believe it, it is very much a fascinating topic. And uh, I do want to, you know, dive, a bit deeper into it. And it, this also brings me back to the discussion that we had with Tim about uh, like analysis of, of, of the EVM wallets, you know, their previous history that we still haven't figured out, you know, a model for this. And all the big like insurance companies, you know, like Allianz or, you know, like regular banking institutions, they, they aren't really uh, doing much on, on, on guard. So, so I believe that like whoever solves this will in fact be either like uh, some random like anonymous DAO or like it will, it will come from somewhere where it's really not expected. Like same with Bitcoin uh, ultimately that the innovation, it, it, it won't come from like IBM or like one of these companies. It will be like a smaller project could be, you know, completely anonymous. So we'll, we'll see. And I'm preparing, you know, some like an overview of sort of what the current options are and sort of what the what the future holds. Yeah, I totally agreed that uh, uh, bringing in uh, the real world uh, asset side, and if we really tokenize all of this, uh, and then uh, uh, combine it with the uh, DeFi world, this will be opening up the world uh, of not just lending and borrowing, but like the actual finance for uh, so many. Uh, 
people that uh, may have not had it uh, open for them uh, until now. So I just want to, to add, I just want to add to this that basically one of the I think greatest possible innovations that that's coming up someone that creates a decentralized version of the SAP 500 index. We we, like, we we know that like in terms of like especially here in Europe you know it's very much uh, there's this like socialist narrative that the governments they you know you go to work 180 days for the government and after that you start earning your, your salary then you might get some pension which is you know abysmal so I think this should be very much you know returned like to people or or you know think of someone that's like in Africa that doesn't even have an ID and like, how are they supposed to, you know, get exposure to, you know, like stocks, you know, equities, index funds? So if, when someone figures this out, this this will definitely bring on like a true revolution in terms of like economic empowerment, especially for like disadvantaged groups of people, you know, emerging economies and all that. Yep. And uh, Risto, I... Yeah, from uh, retail uh, side, I think uh, means, uh, could be uh, one uh, quite uh, successful use case because uh, uh, think about uh, what's the main uh, issue or challenge uh, right now in uh, fine mar- uh, market, uh, then it's uh, uh, definitely counterfeit uh, wines and all the frauds. Uh, it's calculated uh, approximately 5 billion uh, in in every year is like some wine frauds and uh, when we have uh, all the track record uh, track record record visible uh, with uh, NFTs uh, that connected with RFIDs uh, on the wine cases and bottles then uh, definitely uh, we can uh, show a quite successful use case uh, how in retail business we can already from the producers uh, storage uh, delivery service uh, uh, up to uh, consumer side uh, see what's really happening on the market uh, in which regions and uh, in which amounts are are the trading capacities and uh, what's 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 real going on in in uh, like a fine wine market uh, where is uh, approximately uh, 8 billion uh, euros uh, every uh, year is coming uh, new vintages uh, on the market yeah i think when it comes to everything uh, related to supply chain starting from uh, where it's produced uh, uh, all the way to how it's uh, delivered to you and uh, everything around this retail side and then uh, this is going to be one of the big use cases for uh, blockchain over time and uh, it most likely will start from uh, different uh, luxury segments. Uh, so uh, looking forward to this discussion at the event as well. And uh, that's, uh, that's it. We're, uh, there you have it. Uh, we have uh, more or less introduced uh, all of the uh, speakers to you. And uh, we would like to give this opportunity to ask any questions from the audience if you have any uh, now. But if you don't, then uh, obviously... Uh, NFT Italian is happening in May, May 9th and 10th to be exact. And that's where you can link all of those uh, and many other uh, speakers. Uh, but if there's anyone that uh, now wants to ask a question, then uh, uh, please request a speaker role and uh, we'd happily have you. 
Maybe I just uh, finish uh, just the thought uh, that uh, from uh, def the finance side, uh, definitely we are opened uh, for uh, for a new possibilities. So uh, when someone has some uh, good idea how to uh, combine our solution right now is this subscription service side or 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 even uh, fund shares like a financial instrument. Uh, to combine new solutions, uh, then uh, we will be um, glad to combine uh, new uh, new opportunities. Awesome. And Owen, you jumped up. Hey, guys. Yeah, sorry, I couldn't speak earlier. Um, still traveling. But um, maybe this was covered a minute ago. But my question is for Wine Fortune. Um, are you going to only focus on wines or will you be looking at expanding and having other brands for whiskies and, and other fine liqueurs? Right, right now, uh, wines and uh, yeah, like uh, red, white and champagnes, but uh, also next step, uh, dif uh, different uh, whiskies, uh, mainly like whiskey barrels also. Uh, but uh, just when I compare different physical alternative asset classes, uh, then like a fine wine is the most stable on uh, over the decades. So uh, because of that, we have chosen just a focused area on, on fine wines. And also when there's uh, like a London wine exchange uh, that gives like a floor, all, all the track record, then it uh, gives uh, easier uh, to uh, analyze uh, different brands. But, uh, but definitely uh, want to take uh, whiskies on the board uh, soon too. Uh, but, but mainly right now, uh, wines, yes. Very interesting. I had this idea early days in the early fight um, to tokenize the world's most expensive um, um, barrel of Irish whiskey because I did the um, I did the tour down in the middle and their their current bottle was or their current um, barrel was like 200 bottles of whiskey it was around a million dollars ish or maybe 900 thousand I was thinking it'd be really cool if I could get in you know and and fractionalize that so. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of synergies between Risto and PartyFi. And um, I've said this months ago, and I say this pretty often for PartyFi, the on-chain capabilities will catch up. Because when we first launched it, we'd love to do like off-chain fractionalization too. Like, wouldn't it be cool to like be able to purchase a rental uh, property inside of your party? Um, and then I kind of thought about it. I said, you know how many companies are out there that will be working on like neat and... Um, interesting fractionalized opportunities and putting them on chain and now here we are this is a real life example of someone putting a really unique asset on chain um that eventually DAOs will get to interact with we're watching history in front of our own eyes anyone else has any questions here so i see another speaker of ours uh Shekinah. Uh, who is going to be joining us and hopefully in a few weeks time or so we'll be also doing a space together small the guest NFT assets Alex or even Dylan if you can't hear the answers you can ask the question did Dylan get robbed I think Dylan has uh, some problems where he said that uh, he can only uh, hear some people 
but I just brought the Shekinah also here. Hello, hello. <laughs> yeah, just listening and um, yeah, and working. So good to hear some of the other speakers. I love what was being said about dysregulation and DAOs. I think one of your uh, good topics for you was what uh, Tim was bringing up uh, earlier, and it's related to games and uh, especially the question of uh, when games are generating uh, income for players uh, uh, and uh, we have uh, underage kids uh, playing uh, games, then uh, what can or should we be doing uh, to uh, protect them? I would say wherever Tim is from, he should talk to a lawyer in that country because regulation is different um, within different countries. Uh, if he's in the United States, I would say go to a lawyer in that state because this in, in the U.S., you know, there's the federal law. There's also the state law. So you want to make sure that you're abiding by both. When I think of gaming, I think of um, laws. So you want to look at gambling laws to make sure you know, there's no issues there. If there's anything that, that could be like a loot box, you want to make sure that there's no regulation around around that or see if there's regulation around that. Um, I, I mean, I definitely would have some, you know, terms, you know, like you know, terms and conditions or use with terms of use, you know, on the website, you know, and, and, and make sure you have a part that says el, 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 that covers eligibility. And, you know, children are not eligible. You don't want children to be playing these games. Um, you know, so, there, I mean, there's a lot. There's certainly a lot. And, and um, Sander knows that I have a client, you know, that I'm working with that does, um, that's doing gaming. And I need to reply to their email because they're asking me questions. But they keep asking me the same questions. And I keep replying the same answers. So uh, I will, I'll, you know, kind of get back to that. But, but. I'd, I'd say that the biggest concern, you know, with, with gaming, I think would be gambling regulation, um, data privacy, because, you know, in the U.S., I mean, I don't know how much we care about data privacy, but, you know, like, I mean, there certainly is some, there are laws around it, um, but I think the EU is a lot more strict um, with GDPR, and then I don't know within the different um, member states of the EU if they're if they have their own you know separate you know like laws around data, so I would just be really cognizant of you know yeah hiring a lawyer in the state or the country you are in because and and they need to look at the the federal and the state regulation and possibly local laws depending on where your company is registered so that like city you know as well. Hey, really nice to meet you. What was your name again? My name's Tim, and um, I love Dead Fellows. Hey, what's up? It's Shekinah. Nice to meet you, Shekinah. And do you work with UTA? I know that that's like one of the parent companies of Dead Fellows. Well, I would imagine yeah, you probably work with them. They, they are not. So I, I, I'm the lawyer for Dead Fellows, and UTA, they are um, in, in, in their talent agency. So right. they, they're not the they're 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 in no way yeah. the parent company they're a talent yeah agency. not not a not a parent company like a you know marketing agency like associated company big associated company they aren't right? so. they aren't the marketing agency because we do have a pr team which is separate from um uta so uta like yeah what they do i, I mean yeah so we never you see not whenever sometimes 
when you see Goodfellas do a collaboration with a major brand, um, sometimes it comes from UTA. So, oh, that's good to know. Yeah, yeah. I have a buddy. He works at UTA Web three, and he like could never stop talking about Deadfalls. He name? like loves Deadfalls stuff. What's his name? His name's Kyle. No, I, I think I've I've heard about Kyle. Is Kyle really tall? Yeah, really tall. We played volleyball together at Ohio State. Okay, I. I so we've been. I've heard about Kyle. I, I've heard good things about Kyle, but I, I've heard about Kyle from the UTA uh, agents that, that work with um with that because I, I did a dinner with them and when is it gosh in october for halloween so uh oh cool yeah but but yeah i've not met kyle but now that that fellas founders have relocated to uh california i imagine i will hate la um i hate la i, I imagine I, I will do more trips i'm on the east coast so i hate that flight um i could be in europe the, with, with the flight time that it takes to get from the east coast to, to the west coast um so 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 yeah but no look forward to to meeting you in in, in may yeah will be great and um i love like the legal stuff uh, about crypto like that's kind of one of my big interests so i'll talk your ear off <laughs> yeah and what uh, tim was bringing uh, down before us to kind of was uh, exactly the thing that uh, when it comes to the games, then uh, especially the web free games at the moment, don't really know anything about uh, the uh, regulatory side. And in most cases, they aren't even uh, putting uh, any attention onto it because they don't have a in-house uh, legal person. And as a result, uh, uh, no one really knows what's going to happen. And it's going to be a, a bad experience once it uh, arrives to them i mean i think a big thing for, for a lot of um, blockchain startup you know gaming blockchain yeah gaming startups is you know like a lot of them are small so i would say from the outset it may not be the issue but if they are like no we are serious that we want to grow this thing and at some point we're trying to get um what do you call it like a um investment then then you you have to because you know like the the bigger you are you know at some point the government can come knocking and 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 i tell my clients i also say just because you're small i think it's less likely that the government will come knocking from whatever country but you never know (laughs) you never know it's a lot easier to go after the smaller guy than it is a larger entity but, you know, but, but yeah, like, I mean, simply when it comes to your IP, so it's like you want to have like, your IP under wraps, especially if you're creating characters for a game. So I'd say you want to have your IP under wraps and then obviously, like, pay attention to the regulations. And the one good reason, if, if anything, the one good reason you would want to at least, at least consult with a lawyer if you weren't going to hire one, ask what country is the best country, like what state, what, what's the best jurisdiction to register your company in, you know, because that could, that could pay, a, that could play a difference, you know, and it certainly can. So I would say that's something that's important too. So there's a lot and, and I'm sure I'll talk about it in, uh, in May. Cool. Uh, thank you. Uh, thank you for that. Uh, I see Alex, you brought, uh, came up. Did you have a question to, any of the esteemed panelists here? 
Uh, no, not really. Uh, but uh, thanks. I was uh, totally enjoying uh, the conversation and uh, fascinating to meet you guys in real life at our event or maybe even earlier somewhere. So that's uh, that's an awesome discussion. Thank you. Does anyone else have any question or, or anything else that uh, you want to uh, leave us with a parting thought? Yeah, I just want to shamelessly plug um, my two apps again. I mean, I got Partyfy. Like, please go make a party on Partyfy. It's free to do on Polygon. It's like the easiest way to get into DAOs. And then the other shameless plug is for all you founders, like Chasm Analytics is like super, super powerful. And it's free to get started. I would strongly suggest going to make a dashboard. And if you do, let me know because I could like totally help out with setting it up and like getting all your data in the right place. Um, yeah, so that's my parting stuff. Uh, actually, Tim, today it was the, uh, finally I took the time to uh, get some uh, USDC onto my uh, uh, po uh, Polygon account and uh, join Erupt's uh, uh, party uh, after uh, months of him uh, tr trying to get me there. So it took this space for me to get it, get there. Uh, and uh, Risto, do you have anything else uh, that you might want to uh, shill as a last point as well? Yeah, just to plug in uh, our waitlist. So if, if you're interested, you can go to dltpay.com. And uh, so we are doing this promo where basically those that sign up our product, you will have, you can claim your own handle sort of like with Twitter. So if you want to register your name or any like cool username, first come first serve so you go to dltpay.com you email and uh, the username that you desire and then it's reserved for you and uh, once the product is launched you will be able to use it to you know to interact with the community and like receive pay through the username so i think that's a pretty cool thing and it sort of creates a little bit of fomo uh for the waitlist so we've had quite a bit of success with that yes so, yeah, what, it was the all, all the Oh, sorry. 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 Yeah. Uh, I also just wanted to wrap up a uh, discussion from my side. And uh, I think it was uh, quite uh, nice to hear your thoughts, how this environment develops and uh, what's the new uh, features in this, this world. And uh, in, a, in a retail business uh, from a wine, uh, wine sector, definitely we have focused on wine investment side. And uh, when we can make this uh, even more further uh, to involve uh, different sides from technology and, and also from financing and payments, uh, then we uh, will be glad to make it. But uh, until then, uh, it's like the easiest way uh, in, in the market, in the worldwide, actually, to invest in wines because there is no other uh, fund uh, that's um, available all, all the retail investors, uh, even already from uh, one share. Cool. Regarding uh, TLT Pay, I was, uh, it was finally the first platform where I was able to go and claim just my first name. <laughs> and uh, You're a lucky, lucky guy. Yes. And regarding uh, Wine Fortune, then uh, we are all uh, wine fans here, uh, especially Alex and I. Uh, we like a lot of uh, good quality red wine and champagne, so need to check out uh, if we can find some good investments there that can uh, later pay for all the future wines. Definitely. But uh, I think with that, we can uh, wrap it up here as well. And uh, yeah, 
keep on preparing uh, for the event and uh, meeting you all in less than uh, four months' time. Thank you so much for having me, Sander. It's always a pleasure to be with the WAF community, and you guys are amazing. So have a good one. Thank you all for coming. That's all for today's episode of NFT Talent Talk. I appreciate all of you for tuning in, and I hope you'll time in for our next episode. Make sure to subscribe and rate this podcast if you found it valuable. It really helps us out. I encourage you all to visit nftitalin.com to learn more about the event and grab a ticket when you're ready. I promise you the experience in Estonia will be a worthwhile one. Bye-bye.